You're listening to the Fat Dude Digs Flicks Movie Podcast Network. And now, the Criterion Break. Thanksgiving, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of the Criterion Break. I am one third of our tripod of hosts, uh, Andy, the resident fat dude of Fat Dude Digs Flicks, joined as always uh, by my buddy Blake Ginneth. And Blake, how you doing, my friend? I'm doing well. I I I, um, I am now the Scotty Pippen to Derek Stephen first. So I'm super excited to have this uh, team up now. And I, I keep <laughs> that's an in, that, that's an in joke. Only three of us are going to get. So yeah, uh, which whichever way we cut it, I think I'm going to be Michael, be it Jordan or Keith. That's fine. We- <laughs> that's fine. Yeah, I'll just I'll just call that call that position. Uh, well, the the third leg of the tripod, the the uh, Stephen first of our little dream team, Mr. Derek Varink. Derek, how you doing? I am doing great. Um, in preparation for this episode, I had a turkey dinner about two hours ago. Wow. Will I fall asleep during this record? Who knows? We're going to find <laughs> out. We're going we're gonna to try and keep this train moving just, just to prevent you from dozing off. We'll see. We'll see what happens. <laughs> sometimes, you know, sometimes you can't help it. Sometimes you just fall asleep when watching uh, uh, particular movies, uh, like Decision to Leave, uh, if anybody listening to Ooh, the show. Harsh. <laughs> I just, it's another in-joke. I felt thought it would be fun. Uh, we're, we're throwing caution to the wind here today. We're doing something uh, that we have never done before quite like this. Um, Derek is now a co-host of the show, but he started off as a guest. So we have had guests on before, but we have never had a guest on with the three co-hosts. And we are going to tear down that wall today, welcoming in our first guest in, from this uh, format. Uh, you got to hear him last week on Let's Talk About as he... Um, dove into his love for the Polly Shore classic son-in-law, uh, here to talk about something just a little bit different. Mr. Anthony Huckman. Anthony, how you doing? Hey, doing good. Thanks for having me again. It's so great to have you on the show. It's going to be fun uh, this week because this is uh, such a, a, a different direction <laughs> of a movie to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um but one that I'm super excited because you are just like, you said before we even started recording tonight that this movie and Son-in-Law are two of your like go-to Thanksgiving time movies. So it'll be super exciting because I know you've got that uh, kind of place to come from with this movie. So it'll be really cool to chat with you about your your love for this movie too. Yeah, I'm stoked. Um, yeah, it's a movie that uh, I guess... Um, I fell in love with about four or five years ago and, uh, you know, one that I (laughs) revisited pretty frequently, pretty early on. And now, uh, you know, being that it takes place uh, or was filmed on Thanksgiving day back in 76, uh, it's kind of become a Thanksgiving tradition along with son-in-law, you know, there's not a lot of Thanksgiving movies 
yeah. unfortunately. You know, Christmas and Halloween, you know, kind of sandwiched in between, mm-hmm. um, kind of gets all the glory in terms of uh, holiday-themed movies. But these two are, uh, and especially The Last Waltz, uh, yeah. two of two movies that I love and watch every year and don't, for a holiday that doesn't get as much love. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we'll dive into our our uh, stuffing, mashed potatoes, and gravy here in a minute. Uh, we will be talking about Martin Scorsese's The Last Waltz. Um, if this is your first time listening to the Criterion Break, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Criterion Break is basically three friends talking about our love for the Criterion Collection proper and the Criterion Channel. We usually try and kick things off with a little rundown of some Criterion-related movies that we have been watching recently. And then after that, uh, we have some Criterion shoppers on the Ooh. show who have already made some purchases in Barnes & Noble's, uh, was it the biannual 50% off sale? That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've got we've got Derek and Anthony who have done some shopping. So we'll, we'll check oh, in with Oh, I did too, them. actually. Oh, Blake did some too? Oh, yes, Blake. I did. Yes, Gosh, I did. I am... I am uh, uh, missing out here. I... <laughs> well, I will sit back while I let the other guys take the reins here. Uh, but Derek, I'll start off with you. I think your first title that you watched recently is one that both you and Blake had a chance to see. That is correct. So as part of the State Theater's massive October lineup, uh, near the well, – actually, it was, what was it? Third week of October. Third, third Blake week. And I, third, Blake and I went to see Eyes Without a Face – at the state and boy oh boy what a fun haunting experience um about a doctor who with the help of his wife kidnaps young women in the hopes of giving his disfigured daughter uh a new lovely face again uh for 1960s french horror it is very bizarre very visually stimulating uh very dreamlike um and yeah i had a good time with it was this your uh your first time watching this one yes yes it was yes nice. it was. Blake, how about you uh this is my second time seeing it sure i haven't seen i hadn't seen it about 20 years uh and i had forgotten how funny the movie was oh um there's uh, there's some like sequences with this woman stalking other young girls of who she's gonna like possibly kidnap back to this chateau and just the music that was used kind of made it seem like this like really fun happy-go-lucky like uh 60s comedy nice yeah, yeah. I, I i own it and i've ha- i've watched it once i don't really uh don't really remember and i i mm. wanted to make it out to that screening of that but you know you know how time uh mm-hmm. sometimes gets away from you and that was a night that i just wasn't able to get out to to see it but i'm glad you guys enjoyed it uh seeing it on the big screen Really, I, I imagine a really cool experience to kind of mm-hmm. see something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. Once again, the state always, always getting it right. They know what they're doing there. Uh, Derek, there was another movie that you had a chance to see just recently uh, on the screen at the state. Which one was that? That is correct. I saw a little um, art house movie from the fifties called Godzilla. Uh, yeah. Original, original recipe. Uh, no Raymond Burr here. Uh, to talk oh, about wow. this is the original Japanese version in all its subtitled glory. Um, you know, obviously our introduction to the guy in the monster suit ravaging, uh, ravaging major cities and tearing buildings apart. 
Um, and yes, you get that. But of course, you know, the original Godzilla, uh, you know, is a big treatise on, you know, the impacts that atomic bombs had had on Japan, of course, in the wake of World War II. Um, you know, and it is a very contemplative movie in between its moments of destruction and special effects. And, you know, I think it's easy to forget that as this series has kind of weaved its way through, you know, decades of transformation and, you know, embracing ever bigger budgets and, you know, even, you know, obviously the Americanized uh, takes on it over the years. Um, so it was a great refresher course to see, you know, where this series originated from. And it was a fun audience experience too, because there was about 60 people there, I'd wow. say at least yesterday. Um, I noted in my letterbox review that, you know, there were quite a number of like families or dads taking their young like, yeah. 12 year old nice. boys to oh, the movie, which endeared to me quite a bit. So yeah. that was really awesome. Oh yeah. That's so cool. Uh, yeah. The, the original Godzilla is just uh, fantastic. Like just such an awesome movie. And you're, you're so right there because the series takes a, you know, for the early era, a very comic, you know, uh, uh, comic turn it's it's two monsters fighting really and there's there's a lack of like uh i guess a lack of seriousness that the first one definitely has i'm mm-hmm. curious have, have any of you three guys seen shin godzilla no no that's mm-hmm. that's the one i always feel like is kind of uh comparable to the original mm. i i haven't seen it either but that's yeah. that's what i hear is that it takes I- it ha- it has an element of humor and satire to it, but it's yeah. closer in uh, theme than yeah. uh, than to the original. I, I think it's getting a 4K release soon. Ooh, I, I think it just got announced for something. Oh, nice! Yeah, I I am really excited to see that. It's one that I've I've had on my watch list for a long time. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm gonna have to get to that one. But yeah, I'm glad yeah. that. Uh, I'm glad that Godzilla did well. That's that's really cool. It's always yeah. kind of surprising when some of those um, older movies and especially older international movies do well. I think the the idea of Godzilla, uh, you know, we've kind of put our own Americanized spin on it. Uh, mm-hmm. But I think the the original film is just that 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 had so many people show up is really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So hopefully, hopefully more of that. Good job, good job, Sioux Falls dads. Uh, way to go! I'm I am very proud of you. Uh, well, to kick off kind of our discussion of the fifty percent off Barnes and Noble sale, uh, I'm going to jump to our guest, uh, Mr. Anthony Huckman here. Uh, what what did you end up picking up from this sale so far? What are what are some things that you were uh, proud to have added to your collection? Yeah, so I I always allow myself two blind buys and three, um, you know, uh, stuff that I've seen before and I've been just putting off picking up. So um, I finally picked up a Razorhead, which I've been putting off forever. Yeah. Um, I picked up the the new Lost Highway 4K <laughs> release. Awesome. Um, and then I picked up Hoop Dreams, which I've been putting off forever, um, a movie that I love very much. Um, yeah. And then uh, my blind buys, I picked up uh, Slacker, the Richard Linklater's Slacker, okay. uh, which I ended up really enjoying. So that I guess that's one that I watched recently. Oh, cool! Because <laughs> I finally <laughs> I, I did pop that one in that day. Um, 
so I was really glad. I really like Richard Linklater, so I assumed yeah. I would like it, and I was right. Um, and then I also picked up Barry Lyndon, which I have not mm. seen yet, um, yeah. and I've been putting off for years. I was bummed to miss it when the state played it, but it was one of those where they only did two showings, and I was like, both nights was like, I don't know if I can do three hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. I I echo those sentiments. It was like I really wanted because I haven't seen Barry Lyndon yet either, and I I really wanted my first opportunity to be able to see it at the state. But yeah, uh, it's it's a three hour sit when you know you've got a lot of other stuff going on. It makes it really difficult to to fit that in. But yeah, the the Criterion Edition makes it uh, the best presentation at home as you possibly can have. So uh, I'm also excited to watch that one. I have that in my collection and haven't uh, haven't watched it yet. So I'll have to get around to that. Uh, Derek, also, I'm going to say. Oh, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Sorry, sorry I was going to mention too that I oh, I did pre order the Wall E 4K, so I've got that coming. <laughs> Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. I'm, I am thinking if there is one thing that I'm able to pick up this sale, I'm going to try to make sure that I can get my hands on that. That's just a very special release. So good. good That was a a day one must for me. I love that movie. Yeah. So good. Uh, Derek, I will come back to you because I feel like you've got a quite the list. (laughs) Yeah. 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 We'll we'll move on to Blake. We'll move on. Yeah. Yeah. So Blake, what, what have you been able to purchase so far? I, I just got one movie. I got um, Kyoshi Kurosawa's Cure. Nice. I uh, yeah. I I did. I wanted to get it in October to watch it in October, but I sure. you know it's like this, if it's twenty bucks versus forty a few weeks later, I can wait. So I I uh, I, I I shot Derek about twenty bucks, and he went and picked it up for me. So oh, awesome. Yeah. Awesome. I will say, I will before Derek before you get to to go through your list. I will say this. So I'm gonna. I'm going to do a reveal here. Uh, and I think, Blake, this is even something that I have, I have not told you. Uh, one of my friends uh, who may, who I may have just addressed was very kind to have gifted something to me, uh, a movie that oh. I'm very, very grateful for, very appreciative of. Uh, so I now have a copy of Lost Highway. <laughs> but in a funny kind of turn of events, uh, my girlfriend had also <laughs> ordered me uh, Lost Highway uh, and Arsenic and Old Lace oh. uh, during that flash sale. So do uh, I now have a copy of Lost Highway coming my way? Is that what you're well, saying? Or? Well, so what I did was <laughs> uh, we were able to return the oh, copy of Lost Highway okay. Okay. Uh, that I, she got for me. Yeah, so I also cool. have Cure uh, by yeah. Kyoshi Kurosawa. That's cool. That's very cool. Uh, <laughs> it was it was uh like once when Lost Highway arrived, uh she was like, I'm never buying you a movie again. Like <laughs> and I was like, I, I don't expect anyone to ever do anything for me. Yeah, this, is, I, this was a wonderful surprise. Yeah, I She's mean like, I just well, here you go. <laughs> I, I, I saw your post and yeah. I was like, I have twenty bucks to spare, like I don't give a shit. And so I so I wasn't going to tell anybody, but yeah. I asked Andy for his address one day, and I just ordered the Lost Highway 4K for him without him knowing about it, and uh, had it sent to him. So yeah, yeah. sorry, Anyways. sorry to throw you under the, no, it's the okay. positivity it's okay. bus, but no, it was. It was... Yeah. <laughs> it was a very kind gesture, yeah. and I thought you would appreciate the story that now I also have cure yeah. uh, because <laughs> of that. That's awesome. Uh, but I yeah, hope you. So those are, I hope you like oh, that. I hope, I hope you watch that again, and, and 
I, I know you liked it, but I want you to yeah. love it. So <laughs> I, I really feel like I'm going to like just looking at the cover art. It, it had me uh, mm-hmm. uh, really wanting to get absorbed by the whole yeah. story again. Yeah. Uh, so I'm very excited to have that. I'm really excited to see Lost Highway for the first time too. Ooh. Uh, yeah, one that one that I love the soundtrack like the year that it came out. It was on repeat, uh, but I've never seen the actual movie. Yeah, so, uh, very excited to get to that. Yeah, yeah. All right, Derek, here we go, man. It is your you have the floor. What awesome gems have you gotten uh, from this Barnes and Noble sale so far? Okay, so for those who don't know, uh, my approach toward the Barnes and Noble Criterion sale is. Uh, my shopping list is basically to pick up all the titles that have come out since the last sale. Um, and so obviously the last sale is in July. And so that means I have roughly four months of titles to pick up <laughs> during this. The only thing that I made an exception for between July and November was when Best Buy for the first time in who knows how many years started carrying Criterion titles in their store. So I made a special exception that one time and I picked up the 4K version of Blowout. Uh, which looks great. Um, so I was very happy with that. But otherwise, I saved everything else for the sale. So I am pulling up my shopping bag because I haven't actually pulled these titles out of my bag yet. Derek. Oh, wow. how organized, unorganized I am. So let's see here. So first one I pulled out is the... Actually, this is one that came out last week as of this recording, which is the 4K edition of The Power of the Dog. Um which I'm always grateful when um, Netflix offers up some of their prestige movies to the collection so that they can actually get a physical release because otherwise Netflix movies probably won't get on video. So there you go. Uh, I have my Lost Highway 4K copy here. I have my Cure copy here. We've discussed those already. Mm -hmm. I have the 4K version of Sound of Metal. Um, Again, Again, not unlike Netflix, using this to get Amazon titles on physical media is great. Uh, We have the Safdie Brothers Daddy Long Legs here, as well as, I believe this is produced by them, uh, Ronald Brownstein's Frownland. I believe these came out pretty much back-to-back as part of that. Uh, Let's see what else. We have the 4K edition of Night of the Living Dead. I expect that to look pretty awesome. Uh, the aforementioned Arsenic and Old Lace, um, 2019's La Llorona. Um, so we've got a Shutter title in the collection. Yeah. It actually has the Shutter logo on the back nice. of the screen as I'm looking Heck at it. Yeah. Uh, we have the two-disc edition of Eve's Bayou. Um, I know a title that's had a rocky road a little bit on home video, or at least has been a little bit sporadic. So nice to yeah. have that there. Uh, we have... We have Daisies from 1966 from Czechoslovakia here. Uh, I'm excited this- for you to eventually get around to watching that one, Derek. It is it is an experience, uh, Daisies. Okay. Yeah. Good to know. Good to know. Um, speaking of Mr. Scorsese, I have the fourth volume of his World Cinema Project box sets Sweet. in hand here. I managed to grab the one copy that I was able to before they spider-wrapped all the other copies at the Sioux Falls Barnes & Noble. So sure. That's money well spent there. Uh, we're almost done here. Uh, let's see here. We have Henry Georges Clouseau's Les Corbeaux, uh, a.k.a. The Raven, mm-hmm. here as well. We have Adam e. Goyen's Exotica. Nice. Uh, let's see. Yep, that is not Miramax anymore. Thank you. Uh, we have Sean Baker's Takeout 
from 2004. Uh, we have Faya Dai. Uh, this is from last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have from director Sidney Poitier, we have Buck and the Preacher, starring him and Harry Belafonte, 1972 Ooh. Western. Yeah. Uh, we have Marcel Carnet's Hotel du Nord. And last but not least, uh, certainly not in Blake's eyes, we have the 4K edition of Wong Kar Wai's In the Mood for Love. Awesome. So there's that, and probably by the time that you're listening to this, I will have the Infernal Affairs box set, sure. and the aforementioned <laughs> Wally 4K, and uh, Malcolm X in 4K nice. as well. That wraps up the month. Nice. Too cool. Yeah, it's always it's always fun to uh, hear what kind of swag Derek picks up during this sale. I did forget to mention a movie I also bought. Uh, I did pick up Brian De Palma's Dress to Kill uh, nice. from... From from last stop CD shop, so oh, some cool. moron gave that away. Yeah, so I should, I picked that up. <laughs> yeah, great movie. Oh, such a great movie. Very cool. Yeah, this the sale goes on until what the twenty eighth? Is that right, Derek? That's right. Cyber Monday, November twenty eighth is the last day, and then you awesome. have to wait until July or a Criterion flash sale. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's a great way to. Uh, you know, it's a really great way to pick up a bunch of these movies at once. Um, you know, the, the price tag on a Criterion title is a little steep. Otherwise, you know, especially purchasing it in store, uh, you know, there are digital retailers that are very huge run by a billionaire, uh, where they can drop the price quite a bit. Um, but you know, once these sales rolls around, it kind of makes it, uh, makes it a special occasion. Um, so yeah, definitely. If you are interested in the Criterion Collection, uh, I highly recommend uh, picking up some of your titles during this sale. Um, And I think that will take us into our main event of this week's episode, and that is Martin Scorsese's The Last Waltz. So I'm going to start, Anthony, with you because I just kind of want to get your... I guess maybe your 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 history with this movie, your your reasons reasoning for why you love this so much, um, just kind of a general uh, uh, synopsis of why the last waltz means so much to you, and then the rest of you guys. Eventually, I will a- after mm-hmm. that. I'll ask kind of what your first impressions were with this movie. So, Anthony, why the last waltz? <laughs> yeah. So, um, I will uh, start. Well, I've got a pretty good like first time viewing story. Yeah. Um so uh I well I'll start so the summer of 2014, I lived in Okaboji, Iowa, which I'm assuming you guys at least know about. Mm-hmm. Um it's kind of for those listening who don't know about it, it's basically a resort five towns that are on five lakes uh <laughs> that all the rich people in Iowa go to and I worked as a server and made a crap load of money and it was great. Best yeah. summer of my life. Um <laughs> So four years later, my friend Sonia, who I had worked with down there, was uh, she was she lived there year round. Um, she was a teacher during the teaching season and then uh, a server during the the summer. And so she was moving to California with her uh, now fiance. They're getting married in like two weeks. Uh, so shout out to Sonia and Ben. Um, right. And she was having a going away party, and so. Um, I showed up and because I I know her fiance pretty well too, and he was a bartender at the time, and we we got pretty tuned up, went out to the bars, got got pretty loaded up, and 
he was like, all right, dude, we're going to go back to my place and watch the last waltz. He's like, it's the perfect night for the waltz, man. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, dude, I've been in this position before where like somebody's trying to get me into, you know, watching like a concert movie, right? Like mm-hmm. I had a yeah. buddy who used to try to get me to watch Dave Matthews band live DVDs, like after the bars. And I'd be like, dude, I am not going to sit through the 30 minute version of crush again, man. I can't do it. And, um, so I was like, ah, all right. Like, you know, I know this is, you know, it's Scorsese. I, you know, I, I have been wanting to watch it eventually, but I just don't think I like the band. And the reason I thought that I didn't like the band was because, um, as something else I'm sure you guys remember the early days of Napster, there was a song uh, that was mislabeled as by the band. Um, it's a song. I can't remember. I think Dr. Hook is the actual artist. And it's that mm. cover of the Rolling Stone song. Yeah. You know what I'm mm-hmm. talking about? Yeah. And I fucking hate that song, man. <laughs> <And so> <laughs> like, it was a song that, like, I liked as a kid, but now it's just, it's a song for children. Like, yeah. it's a song that now that I'm an adult, I don't, I don't like that song. Yeah. So, I was like, the only song I know by the band is that song. I thought that they sang that, and I thought that I hated, or I do hate that song. So, I was like, all right, you know, there's a lot of strikes against this idea. Yeah. And we put it on, and it was something like, I was like, you know, whatever, I'll pass out while we're watching this. And I was glued like to the screen mm-hmm. from the jump yeah. and um i mean just the first two songs that they played don't do it which is actually the encore and then up on cripple creek which is back at the beginning of the concert um that are in the movie in that order like to me are just awesome songs two of my favorite songs now um yeah. and uh i i kind of you know i i didn't i did end up passing out near the end around the time that bob dylan comes out but a couple weeks later I was back at home and like I told my now wife, I was like, I think I got to watch the last waltz again. Like, I was like, I think I really liked that movie. And I think I really liked that music. And, you know, like I was obviously aware of like Neil Young, like, you know, I'd gotten into him and, and Bob Dylan and stuff and, you know, Van Morrison, obviously, but, um, I put it on again and I was like, man, this movie rules. And I probably watched it, four or five times in that first month after like right after having watched it um like i became obsessed and like now i've uh uh got a pretty extensive record collection in addition to my my movie collection uh, as we discussed (laughs) earlier and now like i mean bob dylan is now the most represented artist in my in my vinyl collection for sure i've got like 15 dr john albums i've got everything Joni mitchell (laughs) released on vinyl up until the early 90s um you know like it just kind of like became (laughs) i mean i've been a a big music guy for a while but a lot of these artists were kind of blind spots to me yeah um and so and obviously now i have all all the band stuff on vinyl i've got like the six lp version of like the full last waltz concert it's like four and a half hours long wow Um, all that stuff so that's kind of my my history with it. Uh, that was the first time I watched it, and how I just kind of became obsessed. Like I said, in that first couple weeks, and and how it kind of got me to finally dive into Joni Mitchell, to finally dive into Doctor John, who I'd been wanting to get into forever, um, yeah. and uh, a few others. So, um, yeah, that's kind of <laughs> that's my story of of my uh, how the Last Waltz became an obsession for me. Yeah, it, it's kind of like. Uh, uh... 
we have been using this term a lot lately, uh, but kind of like your gateway drug into like other music of this era. You know, you, you liked the stuff before, but getting to see this movie like really kind of amplified that, that appreciation for artists of this era, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'll i talk about my thoughts on this in a little bit, but I'll start with, Derek, I think you saw this movie while the state yes. had it uh, on the big screen. So how, like, I guess if you want to talk about that experience and then talk about kind of your thoughts uh, around uh, The Last Waltz. Sure, so that's right. Uh, last September, uh, when the state was wrapping up their big summer music series extravaganza, this is the last movie they showed. Um, according to Letterboxd, Anthony was there as well i went to both showings yeah Um, so so he can vouch me when i said that the state cranked up the volume um as appropriately as that opening title card uh demanded they do because it was it was truly ear splitting but in a good way in a good way um so that was my first experience and then of course i rewatched my 4k criterion copy for this episode um yeah i mean it I, I I will be up front and admit as such, you know, one of the pleasures of me being so hardcore into movies as my pop culture drug of choice is that I'm, I don't consider myself to be as much of a music guy. Or if sure. I do enjoy music, it's whatever I absorb through the movies, whether it be song-selected soundtracks or scores or, mu- or musicals or what have you. So I'm coming into this mainly from... Uh, the filmmaking aspect of it, um, because the more I've been kind of studying up on this movie in preparation for this episode and learning about, you know, how Scorsese mapped out this filming and also the fact that he didn't join this thing until six weeks before the concert. Um, so what he was able to accomplish um, in terms of staging and direction and editing and cameras and choreography and all that stuff is quite impressive. And it's just a very slick, very polished uh concert documentary uh given kind of those hurdles to get through that so so that's kind of how i approach it but of course it has a lot of great music it has a lot of great guests you know there's someone new popping up pretty much every five minutes i would say which keeps things very interesting as as i would say so yeah yeah it was great to see it then um as loud as it was and good to see again here for this episode it's it's funny too because you know they have an opening credit sequence where they kind of name all of the people that you're going to see but as the concert goes along you kind of forget mm-hmm. the names that were mentioned and then people pop up and you're like oh my god there's Joni Mitchell my my reaction to when Joni Mitchell like first appeared was that she was singing like background vocals in a song yep. and i was like is this all that Joni Mitchell is going to be doing in this concert? Like, there better be more Joni Mitchell. (laughs) That that was intentional. I I think when Joni Mitchell comes out for her big number, they wanted that to be a big reveal, which is why they kept her backstage for the vocals on that Neil Young song. Yeah. It was just, yeah, that that was a fun little, a fun little treat was like, you see everybody who's going to be in it, but because you forget about it, that once they pop up, it's like, oh, well, this is, this is cool. Uh, Blake, this is, this was also your first time to watch this it was. Um, as well as mine. So I'm interested to hear your, your uh, thoughts on The Last Waltz. 
Uh, yeah, I thought it was fine. I, I'm not, I don't love it as much as other people in this uh, chat do. Sure. Uh, and that, that mainly comes down to just like, I just, I'm not a fan of a lot of these artists. And I, I don't think they're bad. It, they're just not for me. Um, uh, I will say, I, I just, I, I think if you're going to get someone to shoot your concert film, like there's only one person you get, and it's Martin Scorsese. And, yeah. I just I think when the when like they are performing when the when the band and the other artists are performing, like whether it's whether it's you know in, in front of the crowd or especially in those like those uh, how would you say like set up pre planned like almost like backstage performances where there's no one, yeah. like it's just electric like there's a, yeah. there's just so much energy and like Derek said just like the uh, like the, like the, there's a couple of zoom ins he does and just like his. It's almost like I, I don't know if there's a thing where your brain plays tricks on you, but for me, when I was watching it, a lot of the close-ups, it felt like the sound was louder. Like the closer yeah. the camera got to the people, the the music felt louder. And it's I, I need to watch it again. I had to watch it in two parts, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> so when I started watching it, I, I had a 17-month-old in the room, and when that title card popped up says "Play this movie loud," I just kind of looked down at it. I was like. Oh fuck! You know, like I can't, <laughs> I, I can't crank this up. But the the second night, I did get to crank it up, and um, yeah, I, I I I didn't love it, but I thought it was very very well made. I, I got I got to see uh, my my comparison for this, and this is so unfortunate. And I, this is a really bad comparison, but I got I got to see the other Martin Scorsese documentary in in, in IMAX, the uh, sure. the Rolling Stones Shine a Light documentary, and that was just so immersive and very very loud that. Like I was kind of expecting this and so, or I'm, I was expecting that with this and, and that's kind of my own fault because I did not go see it at the state theater and I, I didn't have a chance to see it. And you know, my, my hubris got the best of me that night, unfortunately. So. Yeah. I, I, uh... I, I, I still do highly recommend watching it. It yes. is quite an experience. I, and I, is it Emmy Lou Harris? Is that who's in the movie as well? Mm-hmm. I believe so. I, yeah. I, I loved, I loved yep. her her section. I thought that was a great sequence. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I thought this was really great, uh, really great documentary. And I'm coming from someone who is not as familiar uh, mm-hmm. with any of these musicians. Like I know, I know Joni Mitchell. I know mm-hmm. Bob Dylan. I know the band. I know, uh, mm-hmm. and probably the, the musician that I am the most familiar with in this movie uh, might sadly be Neil Diamond, but you know, mm-hmm. it, it was kind of like, uh, it was just, it was, you know, experiencing a, a concert film of a, like a musician that you're not like the biggest fan of, but mm-hmm. it was still like crackling. Like, mm-hmm. I think that's the, that's the word. It, it feels very electric. I think you may have said that just a little bit ago. Um, where it just it moves with such a, a fun pace, and I liked I really liked the kind of interstitials where they would talk about the the history of the band, the influence of the band, uh, and then kind of moving on as the mm. the thing progresses. Um, I yeah, I really like this, and I think the 4K transfer is fantastic. Like this this movie looks amazing like and i i you know and i i think that's that's kind of one of the things that that criterion is doing really well with mm-hmm. their 4k transfers is they do such a great job um but this was just yeah um the the sound bothered me a little bit uh mm. because you you crank it up for the music 
Um, yep. And then it gets a little too loud, and you're like, oh, I got to turn this down just a little bit. And then yep. they cut to a speaking scene, and mm-hmm. it's like, I, uh, we named our band the band because people called <laughs> us the band. Uh, so we just uh, decided to stick with it. And it's like, well, well I got to yep. turn the volume up to hear them talk. <laughs> I, I had the exact same experience this time around. So you are not alone. Uh, I was just like, man, uh, this is frustrating. But, you know, I, I didn't care. I was still sitting there watching it, uh, really getting into it. Um, yeah, I just, I, I thought this was fun. I did a little comparison, too. And I think it's it's not fair to the movie to do the comparison yeah. to something yeah. else. Yeah. But when there's a when there's another concert movie that you really just <laughs> I know feel, you're already <laughs> <laughs> that you feel totally locked into, that it's it's hard to kind of be like, oh, I really like this, but I didn't like it as much as I like Stop Making Sense. Um, no. You know, because there's just such a there's such an energy there, and it's not fair to compare it to that one because they're two completely different beasts, and I feel like. Uh, stop making sense kind of owes a lot to the last waltz for what it was able to do. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think this movie was great and, uh, I am, uh, thrilled to have it in my collection, uh, because it is definitely something that I will go back and watch again. Um, just a, a, a magical concert experience. I have a question is, yeah. is, is the 4k a re-release or is this the first time in the collection? This, this is, is the, the first, first time. This is in the, the first time. First time. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Okay. I know. To my knowledge, released... it's the first first 4K release period. I think of this yes. movie. Yeah, yes. I know MGM had a, a Blu-ray mm-hmm. uh, that mm-hmm. came out a few years ago that was you know uh, pretty pretty loaded with features, uh, but it was you know just an HD 1080 release, and now it's the the crystal clear 4K, which is just chef's kiss. Like, just mm-hmm. looks gorgeous. Um. This is a this is a difficult movie to kind of discuss the way that we usually discuss movies because it's like well let's go through the plot of this movie and I feel like that would be well like I was thinking summer. about it and I think you I think you kind of can in a way okay I mean like I think we should rely on um on Anthony a little bit on this because he's seen it yeah. more than all of us but like I think there's some sort of like maybe like through line with these cutaway scenes with what they're talking about, especially with the final sequence, which is like mesmerizing from Robbie Robertson, I thought, but um, I kind of want to dissect a lot of those because I kind of like, like I said, I I did deal with a 17 month old through through, through some of this. So maybe, maybe we can talk about a few of those sequences and and, and in terms of like a storyline of, of, of the band itself. Yeah. And I think, I think, you know, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> not to not to throw this all on your shoulders no, first no, time no, out no, the gate, no. Anthony. But I think having <laughs> you kind of in the 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 driver's seat with kind of your your thoughts on this film, kind of uh, guiding the way, and then Derek, who I know is the fact man, uh, kind of <laughs> as your as your Chewbacca on this journey, uh, with kind of wow. uh, little little fill ins and pieces. Um, yeah, I mean, just kind of kind of take us on a tour of the Last Waltz, I guess, Anthony. Yeah. Um. So I also, because I'm obsessed with this movie, uh, I did read Levon Helm's book uh, <laughs> that he released in the early '90s uh, that talks uh, a lot about the production of this movie, which he, at least in his later years, uh, was not a very big fan of. Uh, (laughs) um, He thought that it kind of glorified Robbie Robertson a little bit too much. And also he, 
he and uh, apparently the rest of the band wanted to keep touring and it was kind of Robbie's mm. idea to stop. Um, he kind of, Robbie kind of wanted to do the Beatles thing where they wouldn't tour, but they'd continue releasing studio material. Sure. Um, but so he apparently wasn't nuts about that idea, but he like is clearly having a blast on stage, like through the entire movie. So I don't know how much of that is, uh, you know, <laughs> just not coming through or if he just put on a face or whatever. Uh, I will say one of my favorite parts uh, from the book that he mentioned is apparently the concert was running really long and they were going to cut Muddy Waters's uh, segment mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. from the concert. And uh, like a producer told Levon Helm, like, oh, we're not going to have room for Muddy Waters. And he was apparently like, we don't know who the fuck Neil Diamond is. So you need to take him <laughs> off of get Muddy Waters out of here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's more to that Muddy Waters story because because of how they coordinated the concert, they had slated that number as when all the cameramen were going to reload film in their cameras. So only one... So I, I'll back up a little bit here because to do this movie, they basically hired seven actual cinematographers mm-hmm. to run the cameras on this movie. So Michael Chapman who's Martin Scorsese's guy for Taxi Driver and Raging Bull. He's the main one. But then they hired people like Laszlo Kovacs, who shot Easy Rider and uh, Ghostbusters, and Vilmos Smigmund, who did Close Encounters and The Long Goodbye, and a number of others. And so Scorsese is directing all of them, you know, through overhead set during the concert. And Scorsese, you know, in his big rat-a-tat-tat-tat style, is giving instructions up the wazoo. So what I read is Laszlo Kovacs ended up throwing off his headset because he was getting sick and tired of hearing Scorsese. And because of that, he was the only camera that filmed the Muddy Waters mm. performance uh, because he was ignoring Scorsese's instructions. And so that's how they got the footage that was in the movie because they were also making the case of, well, we don't, not only do they want to cut it from the concert, but they want to cut Muddy Waters' performance from the final movie. But the band exerted their pressure to keep that in there, given his influence. So, yeah, um, I, I'll I'll just offer a first time viewpoint on this. Uh, the muddy water sequence rules. Like it, it is such a such a fun. Like I don't know, just. Uh, it feels like it's somebody who knows the blues. Like, and that's, that is so much fun to listen to, uh, especially in comparison to the Neil Diamond, uh, number, which, listen, <laughs> I, I can't help the fact that I do love some Neil Diamond, but this is the wrong place for him. Like, the way that he is singing this, this song, uh just he doesn't get it he doesn't he doesn't fit in uh with the rest of this crew uh and so yeah i i was just like whoa we are we are calling attention to neil diamond not being cool in this movie <laughs> I, yeah. although it should be mentioned that the song he's performed dry your eyes co-written yeah. by robbie robertson Oh yeah, <laughs> who produced yeah. Neil Diamond's album that year? So that's oh, why man. he's in there. I get that. That makes sense. <laughs> yep, he's Robbie Robertson's name is almost as big as Neil Diamond's on that album cover as well. <laughs> <laughs> that way you get you get a little bit of both audiences, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> well, what's another? What's something else that we can kind of dive into with this movie? I like again, again. I said I think you, uh, Anthony, might be the best person to drive yeah. this car. Yeah, um, 
trying to think of what other uh if there's any other really great stories from the book that that Levon had had specifically mentioned but but I know I do agree uh to Blake's point about um how there I think there is kind of a narrative you know they kind of go you know you kind of referenced it earlier that they kind of go through the history of the band you know like the fact that Ronnie Hawkins is their first uh guest and he was the guys who got them started um because he, they were Ronnie Hawkins' backing band. And so, you know, they have Ronnie Hawkins on first, which is kind of a, a chronological nod, and they, they kind of do the cutaway where <laughs> Robbie Robertson tells the story about how he had asked him, you know, you won't make any money, but you'll get more pussy than Sinatra or whatever. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and yeah, they, you know, they go through the naming of the band and how they kind of, you know, there's those early stories that are in the movie about how they were kind of poor and, you know, they had to steal from grocery stores and whatnot. And then, you know, kind of goes into their eventual, you know, success. And they talk about like going to New York the first time. That's another kind of cutaway. And they only touch on, I wish they would have touched on kind of Levon and Garth's histories before. Cause I think Garth is probably the most fascinating member of the band, but he's also like the most soft spoken Sure. Um, and apparently, allegedly, according to Levon Helm, uh, the interview that they did with just Garth, they called him up at like some ungodly hour Six in the eight. morning. Yeah. To, to do that interview. And so that's why he's just not very, you know, that one's probably, you know, he's very, very quiet and his voice almost sounds like ragged or whatever. Um, and so, um, yeah, I don't remember where I was going with that, but, <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I I do think I guess that there is a, a through line and and there is something of a narrative in the stories that they tell and you know when they get thrown into the movie for sure. Yeah, yeah it 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 does really feel like this is and it's interesting too because again I I know nothing about the band like mm-hmm. just nothing no history like i knew robbie robinson uh, robbie robertson i knew levon helm uh but any any of the other members i didn't know anything about um and kind of knowing now like i guess the story of uh what led to this being made and you know kind of the the um uh tension maybe that was that was existing there uh amongst the band like, I think that's really fascinating, too, just to kind of have a, this little taste of, like, you know, this documentary makes Robbie Robertson out to be the star of the band. Mm-hmm. And uh, there, are, there are, you know, four other people who are just as integral to the creation of this music. So I just I just find it really interesting to kind of know a little bit of what what the rest of the story is. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Well, so I want to talk about the ending a little bit. And I don't mean for this to be the actual end of the conversation, but the ending to me like really struck a chord with me. Just Robertson's conversation about like how the road kills his friends. And, you know, Anthony made a comment that like Robertson wanted to end and the band didn't. And I'm kind of curious how that, how his words at the end play into um, the history of the band and like if if others uh, maybe the others didn't feel the same way or if Robbie felt like his his time could have ended i mean i don't know enough about the band to make a a guess on that mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and I, I guess I don't know for sure, you know, like what Robbie's side of it was. Um, like I said, to, to my knowledge, the, the rest of the band did want to keep touring, and they did eventually reform. Yeah. Richard Man Richard Manuel died in the early 80s. Right. But, uh, you know, Rick Danko, Garth uh, Hudson, and uh, Levon, and um, am I forgetting somebody? No, yeah, those <laughs> those guys re uh, reformed in the early or late eighties, early nineties, and toured mm. a little bit. And they released a couple of albums that um, I actually haven't really dove into too deeply uh, outside of their cover of uh, Bruce Springsteen's Atlantic City, which is probably their biggest hit from that era mm. of the band. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, if you look at it, him and Garth are the only ones that are still alive, so. I mean, and, and Richard Manuel, even throughout this movie, you know, just looks and acts just completely out. You know, it it seems like he was probably, you know, I mean, he did pass away a few years later, but he looks like he's on the verge, you know. Mm. So I, I, you know, I'm sure that he was probably worried, you know, Robbie was probably worried about his health along with, you know, Richard's and, and whoever else's. Mm. Um I, I know in the notes here they mentioned that earlier in 1976, Richard Manuel was seriously injured in a boating accident, which supposedly started these thoughts in Robbie's head about, at the very least, wrapping up touring. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I can imagine, like, if you are... I, I think we've all heard the stories of how uh, being a traveling musician, uh, you know, famous or not, uh, can can lead to a life of excess, um, and just kind of be it through uh, chemical excess or sexual excess or just you know uh, various other vices. And I think there's that that fear of if I don't get ahead of this uh, and maybe maybe put a stop to it now uh who knows what path we could go down and i think uh you know maybe that's that's a huge portion of why robbie robertson wanted to 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 bring it to an end because they were uh you know either somewhat already down that path or heading uh in a dangerous direction after after 16 years you know uh but again this is this this is the speculation of someone who is not mm-hmm. familiar uh with the band at all um, I really like I I really like the whole uh, composition of that ending scene. Uh, first off, it's it's super cool for the concert to have everyone, like all of the guests and the band, on stage at the same time. Uh, you know, getting to see uh, Ringo and uh, uh, Rolling Stones, uh, uh, Ronnie Wood, Ronnie Wood, Ronnie Wood. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Getting to see them have joined as well. Like that's a really cool kind of uh, uh, celebration. Um, and then it's cut with that conversation of like, this is, you know, if we, we live this long, like the road has to, has to come to an end somewhere. So it's this weird kind of juxtaposition of, uh, celebratory, uh, moment on stage and kind of, uh, I don't know, uh, mourning or a eulogy of, of the, the 16 years that have, you know, the, 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 the career that they've created, um, but I think it's a really fascinating, fascinating ending. Uh, super powerful. Didn't really expect a super powerful ending like that yeah. to, a, to a concert film that starts with the ending. <laughs> I think we should discuss why this is a Thanksgiving movie. Yeah. 
So, so Anthony, why is yeah. this a Thanksgiving movie? Um, well, I'm not sure why they ended up holding it on uh, on Thanksgiving Day, but I know that they did. And this is something I wish there was more camera footage of, and I mm-hmm. understand why there wasn't. Um, they apparently included with your ticket, which was like 20 bucks, um, they held a large Thanksgiving dinner for the crowd. Like, they cooked up however many turkeys and a whole bunch of other stuff, and like had tables set out and everything and you kind of see there's like one shot of that mm-hmm. yep. in the opening <laughs> credits so um yeah i think that's a you know uh, a fun little thing to have done but also i think in a way that you know it's kind of like getting together with your dysfunctional family <laughs> you mm-hmm. know um yeah who you know uh, you know at the time obviously what we know now is they weren't getting along very well and you know, you've got uh, Uncle Neil who had uh, had to get a, you know, cocaine, uh, you know, legendarily uh, airbrushed out because there was apparently a big chunk of cocaine hanging in his his nostril. And, uh, you know, all. Yeah, I've, I've got a good quote to read from this. This is from a Scorsese interview book. Uh, and this is the manager of the band saying, they're projecting the movie from the first time, uh, and the face of Neil Young looking wasted and very big appeared on the screen. He says, there's a rock of cocaine falling out of his nostril. His manager is freaking out. I'm refusing to let you put this song in the movie. So I went to an effects house run by these older guys who didn't know cocaine from a booger, and I told them, hey, uh, this guy's got a booger in his nose. Can you fix it? In a couple <laughs> days, they called back and said, we've invented, it, this is the exact phrasing, we've invented a traveling booger mat to block that out on the screen. Incredible. It's your heart, Yeah, right. <laughs> Scorsese, a cinematic uh, 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 breakthrough artist uh, of, of many kinds. Uh, <laughs> and quick flashback to the uh, Thanksgiving thing. Uh, 4,000 pounds of turkey served as part of that dinner. Wow. Wow. Do you have a uh, do you have a poundage on like stuffing or mashed potatoes or anything like Unfortunately, that? Unfortunately, no. The, the Criterion pamphlet did not get that in depth. <laughs> I mean, this is this is a pretty awesome way to spend your Thanksgiving holiday. Like, you know, you get to have this fancy dinner and you get to see like uh, rock royalty. Like, I mean, uh, Bob Dylan is there. Like, there there are some pretty. Uh, big names uh, in this this celebration, this party. So I think this would be uh, one heck of a way to really enjoy your your Thanksgiving holiday. Um, yeah, just yeah. Uh, crazy to see everybody there at, at one point in time. Yeah, and, and I, give, I was going to say just to give you a schedule. So turkey dinner five p.m. followed by ballroom dancing, which you see a little bit at the beginning there as well. Mm-hmm. Then you have readings from various poets, and we get two of those in the movie one of canterbury tales the other of the riff on the lord's prayer concert starts at nine gets done at 215 jesus (laughs) that's a a long thanksgiving (laughs) i um i love my family but i would 100 percent skip out on family thanksgiving uh to to go to this show yep Yep. <laughs> um, I would, I, I probably would too, but I think once, uh, you know, uh, midnight roll around, I would probably be like, listen, guys, uh, this is, this is great, uh, but I got to get home. I, mm-hmm. <laughs> I got to go. 
Um, anything else? Any other uh, points of this movie that anybody wanted to make sure that we we covered? There's, there's, it's, it's funny because it's like there is so much in this concert, uh, but I have a hard time like trying to parse different individual pieces that I want to pull out to talk about because I just feel. I feel it's a concert. I, I think the, the the staging is fantastic. Mm-hmm. I think the 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 music is great. I think um, the the layout of the film, having the songs kind of cut with these these uh, uh, candid backstage backstage discussions uh, with Scorsese, I think that's that's really enjoyable. But it's hard for me to like really pull pieces from this one. Um, that I really want to dive into. So that's why you guys, if you have things that you want to make sure you cover, the, uh, yell them out. The only thing I want to address is that uh, Robbie Robertson would team up with Scorsese again, only a few years ago to do the score for the Irishman, which I think is a really, really good score. He, well, Robertson's done like at least half a dozen soundtracks. Oh, has, okay. He's a okay. soundtrack. He started with King of Comedy. Okay. Um, did, did, did he, did he do the soundtrack for Irishman, or did he do the score? He did Am both. I wrong? He did both. Okay, okay. Yes. So he hasn't done much for scores, but I know he's produced like anywhere from six to eight different soundtracks for okay. Scorsese over sure. the years. So, so they keep chugging along together. Yeah, yeah, they're they're good buddies. Apparently, you know, there's uh, there is stories of how they basically spent two years locked in an editing room, just doing a ton of cocaine, editing this movie. <laughs> <laughs> All, all the while locking out the other members of the band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, I did, while I was watching it, I told you I would do this, Andy, uh, <laughs> last week. Um, I compiled my top 18 moments from the movie <laughs> in, chro- in chronological order. Yes. <laughs> um, so if we want to go through that, and then if anybody wants to stop at any particular one, um, feel free to jump in. Yeah, and, and this am, is also your letterbox review too. Is, I saw yes. that before. I, yeah. <laughs> yes, this is also I put it in my letterbox review because, as I said, I've said everything on letterbox that I can say about this movie. So. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's like here's the things I want to focus on this time. So, number one, uh, don't do it. And up on Cripple Creek being the opening two songs, I think that's a perfect introduction into this band um, and into their music. Even though uh, I think "Don't Do It" is like a Marvin Gaye cover, yeah, uh, which I never would have guessed. Uh, hearing it for the first for the first time. Um, number two is during the shape I'm in. Um, I this is one of my this might be my favorite moment in the movie. Um, they do like in the intro, they're playing in and they shine a light on Richard Manuel because he's the vocalist, and he kind of just looks over <laughs> like you think he's gonna miss his cue. Like he looks so out of it. Like he looks so messed up. And then he just hits his cue and absolutely crushes it. But you think for the for a couple of seconds, like, oh no, <laughs> we're only a couple of songs in, and he's gonna he's gonna miss his cue and completely screw this up. But he doesn't. He crushes it. Um, Rick Danko's vocals on it makes no difference. I think there's like a real like profound sadness to that particular performance. And I know that apparently, uh, according to Levon, once again. Uh, uh, everybody but Levon had their vocals dubbed for the movie, so I don't know exactly how much of that is dubbing and how much of mm. that is original, but I really love Danko's vocals on that um, on that song. Number four is everything involving Dr. John. Um, I've become a huge Dr. John fan, as I kind of mentioned. Uh, my wife and I went to New Orleans 
um, just over a month ago, and I was like <laughs> wanting to you know go everywhere and see everything about the culture because because uh, Doctor John was just such a representative of that. And him in this movie he comes out in that gigantic bow tie, uh, <laughs> just uh, I love it. Um, uh, number five is I love the way that Neil Young's speaking voice sounds like Barney Gumble from The Simpsons. <laughs> <laughs> if, you, if you didn't pick up with that watch it again uh yeah. i'll tell you something there number six we did mention this one that Joni mitchell uh doing backing vocals on helpless uh from apparently backstage um yeah. Yeah. <laughs> number, number seven is on the same song on helpless by neil young uh there's a line where he sings Yellow Moon on the Rise, and Robbie Robertson gazes up in amazement like a dork, like he's doing actions <laughs> to the song, which I think is hilarious. Um, I, I want to say one thing about Neil Young really quickly here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, has Neil Young ever looked like a young man? Uh, because watching <laughs> this movie, I was like, man, has he just always looked like he is 50 years old or above? Because... I don't know how old he was when this movie was made, but he still looked like a like a, like an older gentleman. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he'd been in the business. I mean, everyone knows this is nowhere, which was his his solo debut, or no, his second so second solo album came out, I think, in '69 or '70. So he'd been in the business for about ten years at this point because yeah. uh, he'd done the first CSNY album, and he also had done some Buffalo Springs Springfield stuff. Um, so he, I guess he maybe he'd be, he'd been in the business 10, 15 years at this point. Um, so he, he had to have been, I would guess at least 35, 36, but yeah, I agree. Yeah. People age differently. They just age differently. (laughs) This is true. (laughs) Um, number eight, I've got the, um, I, and I really love, and we kind of talked, touched on this for a bit, but there's two songs that were recorded on sound stages instead of during the concert. Um, and I did watch one of the featurettes, uh, one of the interviews on uh, with Scorsese on the the Criterion, uh, the Blu-ray, that uh, apparently they recorded the wait, but it didn't it didn't film well or something like that. There was some issue mm-hmm. with the filming, so they wanted to re-record it. Um, and so I I love on the the soundstage version that that Scorsese was able to kind of move the camera in the way that he does. Yeah. Um, more, mm-hmm. you know, more, with more mobility without a crowd. And there's, uh, there's kind of a very, very classic Scorsese push in on Levon, uh, near the end of the first verse. That's, I, I love, um, also in the wait number nine, uh, is when Mabel Stable starts clapping. Um, I don't know if that's, that must be like a trick of sound mixing because it comes through so clearly, um, and that to me it really stands out. So I, I love that moment when she starts doing the little rhythmic claps yeah. um with that song. Uh, and then number ten, I just put okay everything about the performance of the weight. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, uh, I did want to mention they yeah. spent three full days just filming the weight for wow. this movie. So Yeah, it's uh you know, I I think I think for someone who is uh, an amateur appreciator of the band. Uh, that's, that's the song that I feel like most people know. Um, and it, 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 it is definitely a highlight. Like I, I just thought that was a great, great version of the song. It's a, it's one of those, um, I guess one of those generational classics, like the song that kind of stands out, uh, as something that even if 
even if the band is not super well known to younger people, there's a good chance that they might know that song. Um, mm-hmm. And it's a great, a great performance of that song too. Um, moving along, we're almost done. I, I promise. Uh, no, you're good. <laughs> number number eleven. Uh, just the whole performance of the night they drove old Dixie down. Uh, to, for my for my money, the greatest song ever written about the American South, and it was written by a Canadian. <laughs> uh, and that performance, I think, is the definitive performance of that song. Yeah, it's pretty great. Um, number 12, Neil Diamond not fitting in at all, which we kind of touched on, <laughs> and only being there because Robbie Robertson produced uh, that album for him uh, around that same time. Uh, number 13, I love the shot. Uh, from behind Levon when they're doing Ophelia and you can kind of see his breath um, coming out. I think that's pretty sweet. Uh, Number 14, something we haven't touched on at all, but Van Morrison's whole performance is insane. Um, Especially when he's doing the high kicks at the end. (laughs) (laughs) I love that he just starts kicking and then just walks off the stage while the band is still playing. Um, Dan Morrison's great in this movie. Uh, that might be my favorite standalone performance of the whole movie because he's just completely insane. Uh, number fifteen is Bob Dylan showing up with no introduction, no introduction, um, and looking like he's having a blast when apparently he almost didn't take the stage because yeah. his like manager had some contract. He was doing some other. He was working on his weird movie Ronaldo and Clara, I think, at the time. Yep. Uh, and so they had like a contract and he wasn't supposed to appear or some song wasn't supposed to appear in this movie. I can't remember exactly. And so he ended up almost not going on stage, but, uh, luckily he did. Uh, my number 16 is, oh, sorry, did you? Oh, I was just going to say, it was like, this was, this was one thing that I kind of read into, uh, a, a little bit, how it was like, uh, Robbie Robertson was like, don't worry, I will, I'll get him on stage. I'll get him to go on. Uh, and Scorsese was like, uh, what are we going to do? Like, this is the reason we are able to bankroll this movie <laughs> is because Bob Dylan is involved. And if we don't have Bob Dylan, uh, we're going to lose a lot of the money, uh, that we had, uh, that was invested in this movie. And it was like, Robbie Robertson was like, hold on, just give me, give me a few minutes and I'll, I'll figure it out. And they were able to make it work, but man, just like to be in that kind of a situation where it's like everything hinges upon this one thing. Uh, and then your whole project could possibly fall apart. Uh, that's, that's stressful. <laughs> that's, that's a yeah. stress that I don't think I could, uh, I would know how to, how to handle. Yeah. And I think I, in I may have, I may be mistaken on this one, so I apologize if this is incorrect, but I think it may have been part of why the movie took two years to come out from when the concert was recorded, what may have been the contract dispute with Bob Dylan. Yeah, um, I think that's right. Think, yeah. yeah. That was part of it. Also, the fact that Scorsese was... When Scorsese was brought onto this movie, he was still working on New York, New York, so we had to finish that movie first. Before getting to this, which also helped that get delayed till 78. Um, my number 16 is, I, I love that they bring in Ringo and Ronnie Wood, uh, but only to take part in the big group performance. Like, <laughs> you know, two two members of two of the biggest bands of all time, if not the two biggest bands of all time. Uh, you know, I mean, surrounded by obviously other legends, but I love that they only are just like, oh yeah, 
Uh, you're gonna come out and do. I, I, you know, I shall be released with us. And then they did. There's some jams that there is a one of them is on the Criterion special features uh, that I highly re- recommend checking out. But they did three just kind of extended jams that are on the the full extended soundtrack that are really really cool. Nice. Um, just kind of everybody jamming out. Uh, my number seventeen is how during I shall be released. Ronnie Hawkins. Uh, is just kind of not near a microphone. He's just kind of standing in the back drinking. <laughs> He's just kind of on stage. Um, loved that. Uh, and then 18, uh, and Blake, I know you you touched on this, but Robbie Robertson, mo- his monologue at the end, where he's just, you know, talking about how, you know, the road has killed all of his friends, and he says, you know, it's just an impossible goddamn way of life, um, which which I agree is is very it's a very haunting monologue and um is a very fitting closing to the film. So those are my top eighteen uh, in chronological <laughs> order top moments of the last waltz. Yeah, uh, I I think it's great. Like I do. I it was a for me it was a really awesome way to uh, kind of experience the band. Uh, you know. In, in a way I never have before. It could well, probably more, more than I ever have before. Um, and again, like I said, I, I'm really glad that I have this in my collection, uh, because it is something I will definitely, uh, definitely revisit again. And to kind of go off of a conversation we had, uh, guys a few months ago, uh, I would easily <laughs> watch this, this Scorsese movie, uh, probably quicker than rewatching Raging Bull again. Uh, <laughs> I think this is, uh, definitely a uh more more rewarding experience uh and this is coming from someone who likes raging bull but yeah. doesn't like it as much as i thought i did <laughs> i have had my last waltz with raging bull i'll just say that <laughs> uh nice uh i want to go i want to do one last thing before we kind of do our uh round robin rating of the movie mm. Um, this is kind of a, a related question, and I was trying to mm. think, you know, which is the better topic to go with, and I think I'm going to go with this one. So we've had, there have been quite a few uh, uh, concert films that have been released, uh, some theatrically, some that were straight mm. to DVD, but they've kind of had a place in, like, I guess the the pop culture stratosphere and I'm just curious of of other concert movies that all of you have seen. Is there one that you just that you kind of cherish? Uh, and Anthony, <laughs> if it's not the Last Waltz, if there's another one that you really love, like what what is that? But I'm just curious: are there other concert movies that you guys really feel a particular connection to? Blake, I'll start with you. We'll start with okay. you. Okay. Um, well, as you mentioned earlier, I'm a huge fan of Talk uh, Stop Making Sense. Yeah. And um, I I also think American Utopia is just as good as that. Mm-hmm. I, I I'm a really big fan of Madonna's Truth or Dare. I think that's sure. a really fun concert documentary. Jeez, uh, I don't. <sighs> you know, one of I I I kind of want to point out the Coachella documentary that came out. Maybe like. 12 or 15 years ago that I saw and, you know, like led me to actually go to the festival and, and kind of discover all these bands. It's not great, but it was sort of, sort of formidable, formidable for me personally. Um, I, I, off the top of my head, I can't think of other ones. And maybe if you guys will talk about some, I'll, it'll jar something loose. Yeah. Uh, Derek, I'll throw it your way. Any other yeah. concert films that you really enjoy? 
yeah, Stop Making Sense is cool, yeah. as Blake mentioned. Um, that was also an awesome one to see as part of that stage series. Um, uh, let's see here. I'll always stand for Woodstock. I know it's a bit of a cliche thing, but, you know, kind of the way it is depicts that in such an epic fashion, you know, just yeah. this four-hour monolith. Um, mm. I think that, you know, it's pretty cool. And, and Scorsese worked on it. That's yeah. kind of how he got the gig for Last Waltz in a way, mm. because yeah. in due, part in due to his work on Woodstock. Um, let's see here. There was one that Scorsese brought up, because I watched the uh, Criterion interview uh, that he did with the editor of Rolling Stone on this new disc, and one of the mentioned, which also had played at the state during the music series last year, is uh, Jazz on a Summer's Day. Mm. Uh, which is the Newport Jazz Festival in like 1958 or 1959. Um, and Scorsese said in that one, that's the one that he, that's really the only concert film that he revisits, mainly sure. because, you know, it focuses on the performers and the performances. Um, in pretty much every interview that I watched with Scorsese about The Last Waltz, the thing he kept saying was, yeah, I really do not want to show the audience in this movie. Uh, yeah. I'm sick of watching the audience in the in these concert movies. So mm-hmm. that's kind of, and even though there's a fair amount of audience in jazz on a summer's day, um, you know, it doesn't get overblown. It keeps it very simple to the performances in there. Um, and then I, I don't know if you can call it a concert film necessarily. And I might, I might cause Andy's a bit of chagrin here. Cause I know he wasn't a big fan of this, but um <laughs> A few weeks ago, both he and I <gasps> saw Moon Age Daydream at the mm. state, um, which has a lot of concert footage. It has a lot of other footage, too. I wouldn't quite call it a concert film. I wouldn't, wouldn't call, call it quite a documentary. Um, it's very much kind of in that gray area. Um, but I found that to be very immersive because it was trying for something kind of a little outside the norm in yeah. the concert film stratosphere. Um, and I think that connected with me quite a bit just because of that so yeah yeah i i think i'm i'm really one of the few stragglers on that movie i just i don't know there was something that didn't quite didn't quite click into place for me uh and i love like i'll listen to david bowie's music uh any day of the week i just there was something a little too uh uh i don't know i can't think of the yeah, yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> a little too repetitive, uh, a little too un like unwieldy. Uh, that made it a little a little much for me. But you know, eh, so be it. Uh, Anthony, other than the last waltz, is there another concert film for you that you really uh, find yourself revisiting, or that really struck a chord with you? Yeah. Um, well, as I mentioned, you know, in addition to being a movie guy, I'm a pretty big music guy. Sure. Um, you guys have kind of touched on some of my favorites. Stop Making Sense is an obvious one. I love that one. Um, that's one that I revisit pretty regularly. Um, I really did enjoy American Utopia a lot. Yeah. Um, I really liked Scorsese's uh, Bob Dylan Rolling Thunder Review movie that he did for Netflix a couple years ago. And I know that's in the Criterion Collection as well. Um, I will probably end up picking that one up uh, eventually. Um, Led Zeppelin song remains the same um, is one. And these last two are probably going to uh, remove any cool points that I have. Oh, <laughs> actually, I do. I need to shout out Prince Sign of the Times because that one's great, too. Sure. Um, but my, my last two that are going to remove some cool points from me is uh, John Mayer's Where the Light Is. Mm, okay. Um, John Mayer's third album, Continuum, is a genuinely really good blues album, and that was recorded like on his 
tour supporting that album. Um, so I, I do really, really like uh, that one. And uh, I often fall asleep watching Taylor Swift's Long Pond Studio Sessions on Disney+. Plus. Um, <laughs> like I said, it's going to lose me some cool points, but I am who I am and I can't deny it. Right. <laughs> um, so, uh, is, is that is that the folklore like is that with, yeah. with associated with folklore i might have to watch yep. that sometime i it's i really want to join i want to join anthony in the uncool pool um <laughs> yeah. i actually paid to see john mayer in concerts um so when I. I was when i was in london with my wife we went and we just randomly went and saw john mayer he was there and it was an incredible concert so yeah, yeah. i'm Dude, i'm okay talented. <laughs> He's an incredible guitar player, uh, and I, I'm a, I'm in that uncool spot as well. So I'm fine uh, with that. Yeah, that makes I me am, feel better about it. Yeah, <laughs> I guess I guess the uncool uh, outweigh the cool here because I have seen John Mayer uh, in concert probably more times than I should oh. say out loud. <laughs> oh, 2003, like that was a 2003, 2004. He was he was a big deal, uh, mm-hmm. and it was, was. it was fun to kind of get to see him. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the, I, I've already talked about Stop Making Sense. You guys have mentioned American Utopia. I think, uh, David Byrne's presence, uh, as a live artist is just really incredible and a lot of fun to watch. Uh, and I'm going to go with one that I love Queen. Uh, I deeply, deeply love Queen. And I think Freddie Mercury is, uh, one of the greatest, uh, frontman performers of all time. Uh, there was a 1980-something concert film that was released uh, released under the name We Will Rock You, uh, but is now sold as Queen Rock Montreal. Um, it is both one of the, a, a really great chronicle of what Queen is like as a live band during that time, uh, but also a little awkward because you can tell that nobody in the band is really excited that they are... <laughs> being recorded uh for this film there are moments where freddie mercury looks in the camera and looks just super irritated um but you know they still they're still performing to the audience that is there in house uh and they rock the show it is a really fun uh fun chronicle of queen in like 19 circa 1982 1983 uh and Mm. one that i have watched uh quite quite a number of times uh, hmm. over the course of my life so uh yeah that's that's the only other one that i really just uh adore and you know <laughs> kind of cringe watch too uh because yeah you can tell that they were just like why did we agree to do this all right here we go um yeah but i think those are you know it, it's a fun kind of topic to to discuss when we watch uh a movie that has the legacy uh, that this movie does because it has been something that has been on my watch list for a very, very long time. Uh, and Anthony, you gave us a reason to finally uh, mm-hmm. push this one up our list. So Anthony, I will start with you. We usually give a, a, a star rating, like on letterbox, like a five star rating. Uh, how do you rank the last waltz? And is this a movie that you would recommend to other people? Um, yeah, probably pretty obvious. It's a five out of five for me. Uh, <laughs> I I really love this movie. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, it's like I go back and forth between this and Goodfellas being my favorite Scorsese movie. Um, like I just really, really love this movie. I would absolutely recommend it uh, to anybody, pretty much. Uh, anybody that's at least interested in either film or music, uh, but preferably both. Um, and I'm, I'm 
I'm jazzed that you guys at least enjoyed it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, Derek, what would you give uh, uh, The Last Waltz, and would you recommend it to people? I would recommend it. I've given it four out of five, both times I've watched it. Um, I think, you know, for as someone who, you know, I, as I said before, a little bit of a pop music outsider, um, I did appreciate this as kind of the snapshot of artist at the time, you know, as diverse as it is. And again, just the way Scorsese executes this, uh, just how polished it is and technically, uh, skilled he is at wielding you know this once in a lifetime concert and getting it on film um is impressive and i think that fascinates me to quite a bit so yeah totally recommend awesome uh blake how about you buddy also recommend for me um didn't like it as much as the other guys like i said i'm at a three and a half on it um i didn't mention when talking about it that i'm i'm personally not a huge fan of cutaway stuff from concert films um but I do know that, like, when the movie was reaching its apex and sort of ending, and you have that that Robbie Robertson monologue with them playing the last waltz as the camera slowly, like, you know, pulls out, I could feel, I, no pun intended, I could feel the weight of the movie start to, like, ingrain in me. So I, I know what, uh, if I watch it again, I, I think I'll like it a lot more. Yeah. Yeah, uh, uh, another uh, a strong recommendation for me too. I I really enjoyed this. Um, you know, I, it's it's not fair to compare it to my favorite uh, concert film, but what this movie does is just uh, pretty remarkable. Uh, and having Scorsese at the helm is just a, a stroke of genius. Uh, yeah, a really good snapshot of of the late, you know, mid to late nineteen seventies. Uh, that this kind of music and yeah, some of the, the the greatest musicians of all time are here in this movie. Um, so an awesome uh, awesome piece of his history to have as part of the collection. Uh, so yeah, that'll that'll wrap things up here for our discussion of the Last Waltz. Uh, it is currently available on 4K and Blu-ray. And is there a DVD of it too, Derek? I don't think so. Yeah, I, I don't, don't recall seeing one physically. So Criterion's yeah, actually gotten around to not putting out DVD copies sure. of some of their titles recently. So yeah. So I the, think it's the just the 4k. Yeah. 4k and Blu-ray, uh, not it's, it's available on demand to purchase and to rent, but I don't think it's currently streaming on anything for free except for maybe canopy. Uh, but yeah, uh, recommended by all of us. You should definitely check it out. And that is going to do it for this week's episode of the criterion break. Let's plug some stuff. Anthony, where can people find you online, your social media presence, your podcast? Where can we find more of what you do? Yeah. Um, well, uh, as you mentioned, we just finished up our uh, Friday Night Lights podcast. It's called Reliving the Lights. You can find that anywhere you uh, download your podcasts. We, I just got word from my podcast partner. We will be starting our OC rewatch. Hell podcast. yeah! yeah. <laughs> uh, very in, in December, so hopefully we'll have a few episodes out by uh, mid January. Nice. Uh, that one will probably, almost certainly, be called California. Here we come. Yes. <laughs> so check that out. Um, you can find me on Twitter at a Hookman A H O E K M A N. 
Um, same name on Letterboxd. And you can follow Reliving the Lights on at Reliving Lights on Twitter. Um, mm. And we'll probably just turn that into the California Here We Come Twitter feed eventually. So it might have a different name uh, by the time you listen to this. <laughs> but I don't, we haven't really decided where we're going with that and how sure. we're going to transition it. But that's where you can find me. Oh. Awesome. Anthony, again, it has been uh, super cool to have you on the show. Like, it's nice to kind of, you know, because this was this was a new experience for Blake and I and Derek had seen it before. But it's always fun to have somebody who is super passionate about the movie that we're watching uh, to kind of uh, uh, help shape the conversation and let us know the the impact that it has had on someone who's seen it multiple times. So just mm-hmm. awesome to have you here today. It's been great. Um, Thanks so much Dar- for having me. I, I really yeah. appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you bet. Uh, Derek, we'll jump to you next. Where can we find you and your presence online? Yeah, you can find me on the letterbox at D-E-R-V-Dude. That's Derv Dude. You can find me on the Instagram at Derv Dude as well. You can find me on the Facebook under my actual name. Um, you can technically find me on Twitter, but I honestly never post anything there on the whole platform. It's probably going to blow up in a week or two, so <laughs> we'll see what happens there um and yeah and you can find me at the movies there you go awesome blake where where are we finding you online letterbox the real john g and instagram blake g 5150 awesome and you can follow all things fat dude digs flicks on facebook instagram twitter letterboxd youtube and even tiktok just do a search for fat dude digs flicks and you will find me there uh subscribe to this podcast like this podcast rate and review this podcast share this podcast with your friends we are going to keep doing this no matter how many people listen uh but it sure would be cool if more people did uh and the best way to get more listeners is by word of mouth so please spread this with your friends uh let them know that we're out here talking about our love for movies If you subscribe to the Criterion Break, not only do you get the Criterion Break, but you also get uh, my interview show, Let's Talk About, where I am joined by a guest each week uh, to talk about their life, their loves, and a movie that has had an impact on them. And last week, I had our guest here, Mr. Anthony Hookman, uh, as we discussed, like I said, the Pauly Shore 1990s classic son-in-law uh so you should go back and listen to that if you haven't already it was a great great conversation uh lots of laughs (laughs) during during that episode uh just a ton of fun um if you have any questions comments concerns would would like to be a guest would like to make a recommendation uh i'll even say if you'd like to to leave a donation uh send an email to fat dude digs flicks at gmail.com uh we're always looking to have more people on either show uh and we're always looking for movies to watch so if there's something that you would like us to to watch and and uh, have a conversation about uh please send an email there um if you are in the south dakota area please check the page on facebook the south dakota film community group or page which one are they supposed to go to guys the group the group. the group. Okay. I screw it up. I, I still can't get it right. Uh, but go to the South Dakota film community group, uh, and join in the conversation there. I think that's it. Now that I'm out of breath, uh, let's wrap things up here. Who said bye last time? Was it you, Blake? Or was it Derek? Uh, I don't remember. I don't know. I'll just. <laughs> bye. Listen. Yeah. Bye. Bye. <laughs> hey.
You've been listening to The Criterion Break. Thank you for listening to Fat Dude Digs Flicks.